Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the No Money Down podcast. I'm your host, David Flores, and here we go. All right, everybody, welcome to the 12th episode of the No Money Down podcast. Um, today we have a guest. His name is Connor. Um, really interesting story and can really relate to a lot of people. Um, so much as not school not being the best thing for him and wanting to get into sales and then quickly getting into real estate and having a pretty unique journey with low money down strategies. And today, Connor's in a really awesome position where he's building a $168 million townhome um, development, which is super interesting, but he's come a really long way. Um, he should have a lot of great information. So Connor, if you wanted to just introduce yourself real quick and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started, that'd be great. No, of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Connor Rockwood. I'm from Sandy, Utah. Uh, you know, getting into real estate was kind of like just happened by looking on Google, honestly. Um, I knew that I didn't come from money. I knew that there was, you know, things stacked against people that don't make, that don't come from money and don't have the assets to get started or the money to get started or those types of things. So I just knew that I had to get capital, number one, and number two, get into real estate to make money. Um, when I Googled the top two wealthy people, it comes from sales and real estate. So I got into both of those things and Sales was kind of like, you know, came pretty natural, naturally to me. And so I started doing sales over the first couple of years um, and then just eventually getting into real estate um, to get that nest egg to get into real estate is the hardest part. Just the saving and the getting the first deal type thing, as you know, right. um, and house hacking and moving into those homes. And that was kind of the way my leg into the, the game. Because everyone talks about how you need 20% down and you get all these this cash to get into deals. And, um, you know, I found out pretty quickly that that was not the case, that you could just put 3.5% down and get into your first home type thing. Right. And that's what I did. So you eventually got into, first you dropped out of college because you want to get, get into sales. Could you tell us a little bit about the sales experience and then what led you into real estate after that? For sure. So back in 2014, uh, well, actually 2011, let's start right after high school. Um, I went to Spain on a church mission, uh, came back, said, hey, like I got to start from zero, get into sales. Um, I started knocking on doors and selling security systems door to door. I went to Houston, Texas for my first summer um, and knocked for three and a half months and basically just grinded in the dirty heat, you know, 116 degree heat. Right. Uh, made decent money and, you know, I dropped out of school that year because I, that was the goal right after my mission in Spain was to go to school and get my finance degree at the university of Utah. And I had all these dreams and aspirations of finishing school, going to the business school and doing really well there and getting my finance degree. Um, but I was making good money and I got my first real estate deal and I was like, wait, do I need school? Like I, you know, I was watching YouTube videos at yeah. in school. And I was like, I'm not going to watch YouTube videos for five, six years getting into school. And so I ended up dropping out after my first semester and uh, dedicated all of my time and effort towards sales technique and learning sales um, by actually doing it, getting on the doors and talking to people every day and getting better at it. 
and then buying real estate and just learning as I go and listening to podcasts and reading books and doing my own self mastery, not just uh, help having someone tell me uh, what I need to learn. Type yeah, thing. I think one of the biggest things that people struggle with is even with jobs too, not just school, but being able to have enough confidence to take the risk to drop out of school or quit a good paying job to get involved in something that benefits you and you're not so much working for somebody else to get rich. Would you say a lot of the confidence that came from doing that was related to doing your own research and going on YouTube and reading books? Would you say that? Definitely. I think, uh, you know, the fact that in schools, the school system, a lot of people are just doing the same thing I would be doing on my own. Um, and, you know, I was sitting in my, I think it was a business mentality class. It was like basically like all the, you know, it was a business psychology class and it was going over all the different types of business and stuff. And we were just watching YouTube videos all day. I felt like, yeah. and I was like, wait, this is what I do on my own time. Like I'm spending $5,000 a semester on something like this. Why don't I just not spend $5,000? and go learn it on my own be a self-starter because i do agree that the education is key like you have to get an education it just has to be either yourself starting it and doing it on your own or going to school and school wasn't for me it just you know uh regurgitating information i didn't get didn't really care about didn't uh, resonate with me right yeah i mean i have a similar story most of mine was from reading um you know i my story was basically going into the city every day and on the bus i didn't want to waste time and after reading enough i built enough confidence realizing what am i doing making somebody else wealthy and i think that's one of the big things rich dad poor dad goes into is the aspect of like when you build your own business you're taking on the same kind of benefits and risks that a business owner would take but you're benefiting yourself instead of working for somebody else to make them wealthy and that was a big you know, realizing thing when I was reading into all that. But I think it's the point is, I think it's super important for anybody starting off that building your own confidence comes from self-education, whether you get it through, you could pay for it for school. But, you know, there's books and YouTube videos out there already that you can learn a lot from. No, honestly, I think it's funny that you said that because I took uh, the train up to school every day. And I would do the exact same thing. I didn't want to waste that 30 minutes. Um, and I would read the same books you probably read. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Think and Grow Rich, yeah, uh, Greatest Salesman in the World. Like all these key books from the 40s, 50s, and 60s that everyone ties from anyway. Like they're the right. same books and the same concepts. And that's what gained my confidence as well. So that's funny you said that. Yeah. And it's crazy because they're only $25 usually, you know. Yeah. And you're not free and- on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I went to Pennsylvania State University. I had when I left there, I had a hundred and twenty thousand dollar loan, you know, Jeez. and uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not even kidding. Like the maybe 10, 12 books I've read on that bus gave me more education about what I'm doing today in my in my real life job than I ever got from any formal heavily expensed education, you know, it's usually how it goes. <laughs> so. But all right, so we got into the sales and then you started house hacking. So for people that don't know house hacking and kind of how it works, could you explain how you started building up your portfolio using that strategy? Yeah, so obviously I didn't have any knowledge on real estate at all. So I was like, uh, actually, my sister uh, just barely got her license at that time and was like, yo, I'll I'll represent you. And I was like, all right, that sounds good. she found the cheapest thing I could find, which was a three bedroom, two bath condo in Eagle Mountain, Utah, like route in the middle of nowhere, like not developed really that much. It was just $115,000 in 2015 or 2014. Um, and I was like, you know, it, it was like 30 grand more to be closer to the city. And I was like, you know what, let me just go out there, uh, way out there in the boonies. And I lived there for about five months i bought that house with 3.5 percent down and closing costs maybe like six thousand dollars sixty five hundred bucks probably right um to get into that condo um and i only had about that much money to my name so that's (laughs) a huge but all that's a huge point that i want people to realize too is like you're able to buy homes to legally stay in them for a short period of time 
for a very small amount of money and then start real estate investing on, you know, on, on a normal basis. So I, even some of my employees and the people that start working for us, they don't even understand these concepts. And it's, I think it's just so valuable um, for people to know that because it's people think in their heads, I need $200,000 to start real estate investing. Oh, yeah. That's not the truth at all. Yeah, 6,500 bucks got me in. And depending on the market you're in, it could be 6,500 bucks. It could be, you know, it could be $10,000, but there's lots of different ways to get in. And that was my choice to go, hey, I'm going to buy the cheapest thing in my market, um, which was that, you know, 115 grand. And I knew that my payment was going to be around, you know, nine to $1,000 a month. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to spend $1,000 a month. Let me keep all of my income. And I ended up finding my brother-in-law at the time uh, needed a place to stay. And I was like, you know what? Split the mortgage with me. Like, come come live with me and just live in one of the bedrooms or two of the bedrooms and we'll take the master and we'll split the house. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. Sounds awesome. That's cheap. It's cheap for me and it helps you out. Let's do it. So I ended up only having to pay $500 a month. You know what I mean? Plus utilities were split. So I was only like very, I was living very frugally in that time. Um, and so it got me to like minimize all my expenses and, you know, I didn't have to do that, but it was something that I was like, you know, if I could save more of my income to buy the next house, that'd be awesome. And then you continued with that strategy, right? So that, that was able to help you save more money. And then you continued that house hacking strategy for how long until how many properties you got? So after that first one, I actually moved out uh, for a summer to go work again. So I rented that out fully after that, after, during that summer. And I came back and I started building another home, another townhouse. It was just through a builder. Um, and they only needed a $500 deposit. So I was like, you know, I don't have the down payment for this right now. But let me put this $500 deposit. I have nine months to get that money. And I put that um, 500 bucks down. Nine, nine months went by and it still wasn't like, it was close to getting done after my summer. And I was like, you know, I'll just live with my parents for three months. And, you know, that sucks living with your parents, but to be, you have to be uncomfortable yeah. um, to be wealthy. Like that's just something I knew from the get go. And the more uncomfortable you can be, the better, the better off you're going to be later on. And if you live like others won't today, you live like others can't tomorrow is my mentality of always lived by. And I moved uh, into my parents' basement for three, it was like three months with my my ex-wife at the time. And I was like, this sucks. My ex-wife was miserable. Like we hated it, but it was, we were always like looking towards what we we're going to buy. We moved into this, this townhouse. There was four bedrooms. I added a fourth bedroom onto the townhouse um, and put down my 5% down into that house. And then, which was, I think it was 250 grand at the time. So that would have been like, I don't know. 10 grand after everything, right? Like right. after, you know, 10 grand plus my closing costs, maybe like 15 grand or so. I don't remember how much I put into that one. Um, and then I rented out two of the rooms. So we took two of the rooms for me and my ex-wife and my baby that was on the way. And we rented out two of the rooms to my close buddies that worked with me that were very good friends. And they liked my, my wife liked them and it was a good, like good connection and uh, wiped out half of my mortgage there too. So nice. Um, you know, and that was like my house hacking for that house. And then the next house, I did the exact same thing, except for I wanted my own space this time. And I had a basement rental in that, in that one. Um, and I just lived in a nice 3,400 square foot home and had the basement rented out that was paying for more than, more than half of my mortgage at the time or close to close to half. I think it was a little bit more than half. Um, and, uh, you know, lived there for a few years. So I did this for, I think that was 2018. So that would have been uh, five five years into my investing career. And then I, the house I live in now currently, I have the basement rented out still. And yeah. it pays for my entire mortgage. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's ever something that's going to end. I will always have a, a unit that I can rent out in my primary residence because otherwise it's just a sunk cost. Right. Yeah. I think one of the big things that you pointed out too is – like in the beginning, you need to build a base and it's okay to be uncomfortable. Um, you know, I personally living paycheck to paycheck, the way I got started was through seller financing because I barely had any money to start house hacking, especially in New Jersey when places are six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars yeah. um, But it's, it's, I think that's a good point to bring up is in the beginning, I think it's always, don't be ashamed, be a little shameless about 
you know, your future and how you want to get started. Because eventually you will hit a point where, you know, money is coming in. You don't need to live so frugally. But I think it's super important to understand that in the beginning, it's it's supposed to be rough, you know. Yeah. And, that, and that's something that I always say to uh, a lot of the guys that I mentor is the money you save today is the most important money you'll ever save. And so, right. like, these people that are just starting out, you've got to be frugal. I don't care what lifestyle you want to live. I don't care how much you're making. Until you have passive money paying off all of your bills and everything that you need, you should be living frugally. Like that's something that um, once it's all passive and it's paying all your bills plus a massive surplus, then yeah, go ahead and uh, spend a little percentage and have fun. But, um, you know, you can't be frivolous with your start out. You need to save that money and, you know, stop eating out all the time. It's got to be like that college dorm life type, right. type living, right? Even the work too, like you have to work a little harder in the beginning, you know, things eventually just start coming to you once you're in this game for a while. Like for us, you know, a lot of a lot of deals just come naturally to us because of the network and the people and the relationships we've created. But in the beginning, you don't have any of those things and sacrificing weekends to go travel to different towns and meeting different agents and sacrificing nights after work to just get your first deal so eventually you can quit that job i think exactly. money and money and time it's just uh you know i i like to uh, there's a lot of people on social media today too that kind of make real estate investing look super easy and it's not all the time i mean i think it becomes easy and i think that's maybe why a lot of these you know bigger investors kind of come off like it is easy because when you do reach a certain point you have people managing things you have other people taking care of things but i think the big thing they miss is in the beginning it's not easy it's a grind and you know if you do want to get involved in real estate just know in the beginning you do have to sacrifice a lot of time and it sometimes it can take you know 3 5 years to get your feet off the ground but then after that, things start coming together a lot more. So yeah, and then and enjoying the process too. Like sales wasn't what I wanted to do. Like I'm not a huge sales guy. I'm not a fan of it for that matter. Um, but I knew that I was decent at it, and I knew that I I had the progressive mindset to get better every day. And so like I did that for. I still have teams after nine years, and I don't even like sales. I just do it because I know that. I'm good at it and I know that I have to sacrifice something to get what I want. Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, that goes back to the same thing that you said of traveling, you know, across the country or traveling, you know, long nights, you know, across the whole state to, to visit clients or whatever you need to do. Um, I had to live out of state for three months out of three to four months out of every year. And it's like, I hated that, like hated it. And right. I had a family now and like, you know, it's not something I wanted to do and it seemed easy afterwards like after you look back you're like, that wasn't that bad but yeah it did suck <laughs> you know, yeah it does well, when, the summer. usually you do it when you're younger too and when you're younger all your friends you know they want to do things on the weekends and at night and all those things so it for me it truly looking back on it yeah now it's kind of like yeah that wasn't so bad considering where i am now but to like not go to a certain event on a weekend it, it you know it is painful to not be with your friends or your family when you want to go do something. But I think me and you and a lot of real estate investors who've reached a, a good point is I'm sure they've at one point sacrificed time and money um, just to get their foot, you know, off the ground. And I think uh, it's something I like to stress a lot because a lot of people get into real estate, even being on the property management side, people with money, get into real estate thinking it's a simple easy process and it's not right there's a lot of moving pieces there's a lot of um things to worry about property management and financials and tenancies and making sure that your place is always looking good there's just a lot to stress out about a lot of the times but definitely no you're not wrong there i think a lot of people uh uh <laughs> If they if they come from a different background, they feel like it's not as passive as they make it sound on Instagram, right? So, yeah, it, it, the thing is, it could be very passive, right? If you get, mm -hmm. you know, you buy places and get property management and kind of just step away, but at the same time, I mean, you still need to make sure your property management company is doing their job, 
you need to make sure that the rents are high enough so you're clearing you know your mortgage and all of your expenses that you have um you know yeah. big repairs big repairs happen a lot of the times and that's something you still need to work on so it's it's definitely a path more passive business than running a business but it's definitely not like totally hands off which i think a lot yeah. of people misunderstand um definitely all right so connor after doing the house hacking strategies uh what does your portfolio look like today and um what are you currently working on so i'm currently just i mean depending on the market right depending on uh, when we sell them and things but i would say around 13 13 to 14 million dollars of real estate now um about 50 55 dollars a month in gross revenues um monthly and then you know, cash flowing just over 20, 25,000 or so. Um, I am now working on um, funds. Um, we're looking to get bigger and do bigger deals. It's been mostly one to four units um, over and over again, and just rinse and repeat, buying and buying and buying and raising rents. And it, that has worked because traditional financing has been awesome for the last, you know, eight years or so. But these last couple of years, we've seen that change a little bit. And so yeah. now we've kind of molded a little bit more towards seller financing and um, getting a lot of the deals the same way you've been getting them, which is, you know, sub two, which means you're taking over the loan of the person that you're you're getting that property from and acquiring their their loan, basically right. getting a low interest rate. And um, they might be in a bad position to not be able to make their payments anymore. And we just take that over, raise rent, um, rent it out to somebody else, raise the rents a little bit, cover our mortgage plus a little bit more, and we put very little money into the deal, um, you know, or seller financing that we just, you know, we'll get a, I got a seven bedroom house recently here close by that was 925K, um, had a 6% interest rate, um, 30 year term, no balloon. And, you know, that, those are the types of deals I'm starting to do. And um, then also the funds, like I told you, which is a $168 million project. Um, we only had to fund, 12 million of it total, um, which was awesome that we didn't have to fund the whole amount because, you know, the build itself is only going to cost uh, 40-ish million total. And so okay. we're only funding a fourth of that, right? So we're in a good spot to be able to to get that whole deal done. Um, we broke ground a couple of weeks ago, uh, about a month ago, I guess now. I definitely want to get more into the developing, but before we do that, how... So how are you finding these uh, sub two and seller finance deals just so other people could maybe get an idea of how these deals are? Because to a lot of people, they don't sound real, right? Even my mm -hmm. friends to this day, they're like, I don't understand. How are you getting somebody to carry the down payment or give you the mortgage to their house? So um, yeah. it'd be good to go over any, how do you, how are you currently finding those deals for your rentals? Um, these deals pop up randomly. I have wholesalers that are looking for deals constantly. Um, so I've got a couple of buddies that are wholesalers and I just said, Hey, be on the lookout for this type of deal, you know, three bedrooms and above. I don't, you know, I want them to be in nice neighbor, like, okay. Neighborhoods. I don't like them to be run down. I want them to be updated. So that's a little bit harder to find if you're doing wholesaling. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so, so I want them to be nicer homes. I don't want to deal with any junk that I have to fix. And so some other people, you know, I find less deals because of that, but um, yeah. I'll pay these wholesalers, you know, five to 10 grand um, to find those deals for me. So that's one option. And the other options are Zillow, just typing in seller financing on Zillow as a keyword and pops up all the seller financing options. You know, those are on market, right? So they're going to be a little bit inflated retail price, but um, no, you know, I didn't even know you could do that. Could you? you yeah, could there, there you go. You could go on Zillow and just type, what is it, search and descriptions? It searches all the descriptions. Anything that pops up seller finances pops right there, and you can see all the listings that have seller financing. Some of them will say no seller financing. Yeah, but yeah. majority of them will say, like, we're, like, seller financing option available, and I reach out to the agent. Hey, what kind of terms is your seller looking for? What does he need? Um, you know, whether it's a high down payment. Most of them want high down payment, which is what yeah. I'm not looking for. Um, I don't want, you know, I don't want those. Um, usually the more down payment you have, the lower the interest rate is. So, you know, depending on who you go with, who, who you find and who you negotiate with, you can get a really low down payment like this one in Sandy, Utah that I bought that was 7% down, um, 6% 6, 6 interest. So it was lower than the market and a 30 year term, so which is what I want. And it was brand new, updated, nice, 
Um, did I overpay for it? Maybe a little bit. Um, it appraised for 960. So the appraisal was more than what I bought it for, but you know, it might not sell for what I bought it for, right? Which right. I'm okay with because I'm cash flowing twelve hundred dollars a month on it. And yeah. I only put 60, 60 grand down into the house. So, you know, you know, I'll make my I'll, that's a that's a twenty percent return. So I'm I'm not gonna be mad about that. Um, yeah. but that's usually how I find my deals. Like I, I'm pretty traditional and I like the MLS actually. Like I like looking on Zillow and finding retail deals that they already know what their terms are. I don't have to negotiate them. Like yeah. they kind of already know what they want. That's funny you say. I I bring that up a lot. How a lot of uh, a lot of real estate investors they tend to have bigger egos and think the MLS is just like stupid or something. But yeah. to be honest, the MLS you have motivated. Those are where all the motivated buy, uh, sellers are, right? I mean, yep. they're putting their property up for sale, right? So mm -hmm. they clearly want to sell already. If you can find a great deal on the MLS and work directly with MLS and agents, I I always say that's that's something a lot of investors don't look into a lot. And there's so much low hanging fruit that it's kind of dumb to to just cancel out the MLS as a as a strategy to find opportunities. Yeah. On to be honest with you, I think 90% of my deals are MLS. Like MLS Zillow, like the the go tos, and people are like, "You're overpaying." No, I'm not. Like, it doesn't matter what the price is for me. I'm a long term hold investor. I do not sell anything. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if I'm looking to flip and things like that, yeah, I need to find margin. For me, I really don't care what the price is today because I don't care what it is tomorrow either. Right. You know, like I do, I do want to negotiate that and get the best deal possible on those deals. And you know, if it's been sitting on market for 100 days or you know 150 days, I'll probably get a good deal on it. Um, and, and I, I kind of want to, so. I want to cut you off for a second and explain to it. So what Connor's talking about, the reason why the price of it doesn't really matter that much is because he's running his numbers and his numbers are showing high cash flow. So in his mind, um, you know, even though he might overpay for it, if his cash flow is at a 30 or 40% margin every month and he's making hand over fist money every month, there's no point ever selling the property. And that's kind of what you're alluding to, right? Exactly. And uh, people fight too much over purchase price. They fight yeah. way too much for it because if you just get, you get them what they want, which is the purchase price, they'll give you what you want and the terms that you want. If you want a 30 year term, but you're paying more for the property, what, like, what are you mad about if your numbers make sense? Like exactly. you're cash flowing 20, 20% 20 over your mortgage. Like why are we fighting over that? You know I mean? I've actually had situations where I've asked to increase the purchase price just so I can get like a, a higher seller finance situation. Yeah, um, less money down. Exactly. And that those are situations where I'm literally, you know, like you said, people fight tooth and nail over price, but I'm willing to give up more of the price, risk the fact that it might not sell for that one day, but I'm cash flowing at $2,000 a month. I mean, I'll take the two grand a month over exactly. $5,000 additional to the purchase price over 30 years of paying a loan. Exactly. I mean, in reality, what is that? $20 extra a month? Five, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. And, and people are paying attention to like they're, they're overpaying and all these types of things. The only reason why you'd be overpaying is if you have a balloon payment that's coming up very soon. Like if it's a three year balloon and you're overpaying a lot or, that's risky, obviously. And yeah. that's something I wouldn't do. I only do long-term financing. So it's like, if it's 15 year plus, I'll do it. If it's under that, I won't do it. So, you know, I'm not dumb either. Like, and I'm not going to set myself up for failure in four years or three years and the property decreased in value and I have to come up with this cash. Like, that's not smart either. Yeah. Um, but if you're doing a 30 year term, like what, there's no risk, you're fixed, you're a fixed rate, you know what your price is gonna be. If rents decrease by 20%, you're still even, you know what I mean? Exactly, so. or if you do have to refinance, like say in maybe 15 years from now, we're, think, hopefully not, but we're at the same rates we are now. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At US Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, 
Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You should be running your numbers so much so that your margin's big enough where if interest rates do go from, if you're paying at four and they go up to seven, that shouldn't put you underwater. Exactly. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and your principal is being paid off, too. So it's like, you know, 15 yeah. years of principal pay down. That's substantial. Exactly. Yeah. Another big point, too, though, I think a lot of people think seller finances situations are the best uh, financials um, routes you can go down for, in regards to um, actually funding the property. But that might be true, but it still needs to make sense. Like I see a lot of people get into seller. I see, you know, Pace Morby has a Facebook page that I'm on and people are posting seller finance situations on there all day long. But it's like, you know, the the place rents out for $4,000. They're asking for $700,000. They're asking for 50% down and a 7% interest rate. And it's like, I already immediately mean, you know, that does, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. Stupid. Like that doesn't help you in any situation. And you're putting down a higher down payment. You're having a, an, a person that is not a lender. You're trusting them to put together this loan and carry the, you know, carry everything for you. And it's like, before you get into seller finance, you still have to know how to run your numbers correctly. Just because it's, it's a seller finance deal doesn't make it a good deal. No, definitely. And and that's that's something that uh, you know I've I've seen a lot of people that are going to probably crash and burn. Like it's sad, but like they they're not being smart about their decisions. They're not running numbers. They're just wanting to say, hey, I've got this many units, and so they're picking up deals left and right. And I've seen it. I've seen buddies doing it, and I know where they're headed, and it's not somewhere good. That's for sure. Um, you know, you've still got to be smart and think out stuff, but you know, you do need to make quick decisions too, because if you're sitting on the sideline, you're going to lose too. So it's like, Oh, definitely. Um, I, I did traditional finance on all of my deals leading up for the last eight years before, you know, this last two years, everything yeah. has been traditional financing, um, you know, mostly retail type deals, MLS, and just finding really aggressive um, loan products like mountain America would do this 10% uh, 90% LTV, which was 10% down on investment properties over one to four units. And it was the same lending limits as conventional. And I was like, man, and it was a 15 year balloon. And I'm like, oh, sounds great. Let's do it. And the rates were lower than traditional. So I was like, I did uh, three of those. And, you know, we just find the most aggressive loan products. And that was kind of like the idea for the last four or five years before this last two years now it's seller financing. It's just gonna keep molding and we just keep molding to whatever's happening in the market. Right. How are you finding, um, I, I think a lot of people struggle with this. Like the first thing they'll go to is a PNC bank or a Huntington bank to to get a, a loan. Where, where are you looking to find these um, companies that do more real estate investing friendly kind of mortgage uh, packages? Uh, mostly mortgage brokers. Um, mortgage brokers have usually the most up-to-date, newest type lending. And, you know, everyone gets scared about some of the new loan products because they don't know if they're going to get screwed in the long term. Like the balloon payments scare people. There's different things that, you know, they do the 40-year terms and that makes people nervous. And I'm like, man, I'd take that all day. Like, <laughs> So mortgage, mortgage, mortgage brokers are the ones that are uh, finding these products that that I find and you know Mountain America was actually through my buddy that had been doing a couple and he's like hey this loan products awesome like the interest rates are lower and it's 15 year balloon they just have a higher um, they have a two percent origination fee and I was like oh well we can just negotiate that from the seller so yeah. there's there's like lots of there's negatives on every loan right um, they make their money somehow but I just find through mortgage brokers has been the best option to find those loans. 
Nice. And um, how are you? Do you how are you usually compensating the brokers just so people know, you know, down payment wise, how much extra they would need to spend on on using a mortgage broker? Um, so it's already they have that in the closing costs, right? Like they'll make their little piece from the from the lender that they, that they're going through. So for example, Mountain America. Um, you know, my mortgage broker found Mountain America, that loan product, they make the same either way. If I went through Mountain Mountain America, it would have been the same closing cost as if I went through my broker. Right. So, you know, it's they just give them a piece for finding that that client, right? And so it doesn't hurt me by going through a broker. Um, you know, I actually like them making money because they work harder to find better products for me. So, you know, they I don't I don't try and nickel and dime my broker. I, she'll be on it no matter what, any deal that I need, any numbers that need to be punched, like she's quick and gets them done. So awesome. um, pushes through info. So I don't think you, you don't nickel and dime those people. I think you just let them make their money and it's usually not a lot. Um, you know, they, they have to hold that, that client for six months or whatever has to season for them to make their money too. So awesome. And FYI, now that we're talking about ones, I'm pretty sure, uh, Rocket Mortgage just started a, a rentable um, loan package where they do 30-year fixed. Know. Yeah, they do 30-year fixed at 6.25%. Damn. The, only, okay. the, only, the only catch is you have to put down 25%. Uh, okay, a little bit higher leverage or lower leverage, I should say. Yeah, yeah little, I think... Yeah, I like to leverage out my money as far as possible. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, I do too, but yeah, thirty-year fixed on a on a rental is pretty intriguing to me too. On a especially for a company like Rocket Mortgage, where you can just go on the website and just you know apply for it very easily. Yeah, quick, quick approval. Yeah. So. No, that's true. I'm looking into that. Let's get into um, where you are today because I find this super interesting. You know, college dropout um got into sales did very well with house hacking and real estate investing um built a nice portfolio and now you are you have a fund and and you're using that fund to develop properties is that what you're doing so mostly syndications we're going to be starting our fund in the next uh year roughly we're doing the syndication part is what um funded part of that 168 million dollar project okay. um we me and my partner went in on that deal and funded through coworkers, buddies, um, and just started that process because we knew it was going to be a huge one. I put a lot of money into that one too, just because I can't, I can't, uh, I can't raise capital unless my money is not there, not in there. Um, I've, I never did it on any of my other deals. I use my own cash and my own work, my own everything, because I just don't believe in raising capital for something I'm not putting money in and don't have skin in the game for um because if i lose we all lose like you know like it's, yeah. it's not you lose and i don't lose like we all lose mm -hmm. and so it, and that's why i believe fully in this deal in bear lake utah like it's going to be a huge one uh luxury townhouses looking over the lake uh prime real estate um you know toys a second home for a lot of people here in utah is bear lake and saint george so those are like the two most like intriguing spots for people and that's why I jumped on the deal and it was supposed to, it's supposed to bring three to four times our money in about four and a half to five years. So nice. it's a huge return. Um, you know, we're not taking many fees. And so it worked out to be a perfect deal for me to start on the fund game. So how did you get in? So I think a lot of people are interested in the fact of like, how do you get yourself involved in such a big deal like that? Like, did you have some kind of mentor that you were, um, being trained by, or did you get back into YouTube and reading books and all that stuff? Or, you know, how did you get your f feet in the door for building such a, such a big project? So me and my, one of my best friends, Kyle, uh, his brother-in-law is one of the biggest investors in Utah. Um, he runs, um, Harris investment group and they have been killing it for like the last you know, 10 ish years. And I've been hearing about him for years. Um, you know, almost got in on a couple funds of his didn't, didn't jump in on him. I wanted to do everything on my own. That was yeah. kind of my mentality starting out. And then, um, one day he reached out to Kyle about this project in Bear Lake and 
Kyle, obviously me and him have been like racing to get as much real estate as possible over the past 10 years, nine years. And so uh, he brought the project up to me. He knew I was a huge, like I have a lot of people with a lot of money near me from my industry sales and no one really knows where to put their money in sales. They just make a lot and blow a lot. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, reached out to a lot of the sales guys, um, brought in capital. We met with Harris Investment Group. They were like, hey, will you guys fund a fourth of this? And we're like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, after we looked at the project, looked at the numbers, looked at what the return would be, looked at the worst case scenario, did all the vetting. Um, we both are super, super like weary of funds and things like that and what the fees are. So we went in depth on the fees. They weren't going to charge us any fees on our portion because they needed the cash. There's a lot of people that are not willing to put any money on the table right now um, with the market, how it is and uneasy. And yeah. so we raised that capital pretty quickly actually. And uh, we had to fund it in less, it was a month and a half. So it was a quick raise. Like we had to raise uh, 2 million bucks in about a month and a half. And uh, me and Kyle put in substantial amounts and you know the rest of the people put in a bunch. So. It was it was a quick raise and it just worked out timing wise. The project we liked, um, I would own one up there. So it was just like something that, um, you know, it's who you know sometimes. And that's who it was for me. Like, I don't come from any money. And so I didn't have any connections like that. And Kyle was my buddy that worked for me back in 2015, knocking doors. And right. he just so happened to have a brother-in-law that that does funds. And so uh, and, and then been jumping on some of those. Once you guys raised the money, was it was it you who you know got the architect together and the engineers and all that stuff, or are you using third party kind of systems to set that so, up? So we were partnered with them, uh, with Harris on that one. Um, they actually had the old um, architect of Ivory Homes, which is a huge builder here in Utah. Okay. Um, he did a lot of their multifamily and he jumped on our project um, and really was just like, Hey, if I can get the townhouse out of this, I'll do it for you guys. And so he did that. Pro he did the project as far as the architecture. Um, we actually are building these in warehouses and then shipping them to site and putting them up basically. So oh, it's no. kind of a new, new way of architecture, cheaper way, but also really high quality. Um, so as far as like the third party stuff, they already had a lot of it done. We just had to bid out a lot of the, the groundwork type lower end stuff but everything was in-house like that guy that we brought in from ivory homes was in-house um the funding obviously was all from us and then the bank uh, we had to switch a couple banks because some of the banks weren't given the terms we wanted um we went almost all the way with one bank and we had to switch to another bank and you know the leverage we kept getting appraisals and the appraisals kept getting better and better as we as the project was getting along and uh you know, we only had to let, we only had to pay 20% down on this, this huge project, which usually that's 40% down on those, these types of deals. Right. So when, when, um, when you are getting started on that, how, how are you going approaching to a bank or approaching an investor? Or are you creating business plans? Are you creating documents to show them what it would look like renderings? The whole thing is pretty much you need to prove to them that this thing's going to work and how. Yeah, you've you got a track record, track yeah. record more than anything. And, and we have that luckily from from Harris Investment Group because they've been doing this for years and uh, they have okay. tons and ton a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, me being able to put my foot into that door was awesome because now guess what? I can go to a bank and say, hey, we just did this huge project. This is how successful it was. So it, it does have to do with like being on the paperwork like we're on the gc of this this paperwork so it's like um like we're gps on this deal right. um and so that's that's lucky on our end because we were able to rate we had to raise really fast they needed the capital quick so i think it was just lucky on that that end but you get luckier and luckier the more you network uh, i always say um and the more that you work the luckier you become and so a lot of these guys say, well, he got lucky with his friend. It's like, wait, did I get lucky or did I recruit him to come sell for me back in 2015? Yeah. And did I keep that relationship? Right. And so for these guys that, that don't have that late game, it's like network, build your relationships with people that are um, like-minded, like Kyle, he wanted to buy a ton of real estate back in the day. And I was like, let's do it. Let's buy as much as we can. Like, right. And, uh, and so you just find people that you're, that are like-minded and, and 
that's how you network into those circles so that you can hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Be able to talk to those banks one day. You know, I'm 30 years old and next year I'll be talking to these banks myself. Yeah. Um, you know, I could I could get funding just off of what I've done in the past for my real estate, the 14 million I have. And I could collateralize that and make it so... I could get loans a lot easier, but um, the terms that they got, I don't think I would have been able to get if I wasn't in with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hate that term in real estate, lucky, because nothing is left. I mean, yeah. like the best deals I've I've gotten, my peers have called me lucky, but I'm, I'm not. I, I created a relationship with this person years ago, right? Like now yeah. they inherited a piece of, you know, an apartment building they don't want, and they asked me to buy it from them because they didn't want to split it up between eight brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. And it was an awesome deal. That's not lucky. That's just, like you said, it's like the work you put in. I think Grant Cardone does a really good job at putting that all together is like work for free because eventually you'll get those, you know, quote unquote, lucky moments. The opportunities come eventually. Exactly. And one thing I've learned over the last two years or so that I've been focusing on more and more is uh, giving back and just like you, the more you give, the more value you give to other people, the more value comes back. And when you don't look for the value back is when it becomes super powerful. Um, When you're just giving, just putting a lot of good into the world, whether it's information, whether it's knowledge, whether it's uh, expertise or teaching people how to sell or teaching how to do real estate or whatever it is. And things just happen. Things just naturally come like, You know, it's and I think that's something took a long time for me to learn. And I wish I'd have known earlier. Yeah. And I think a big you don't even need to give money. You know, it's not. about. It's about it's about the time advice. It's about just caring for people. And it's the same thing in our property management world. We, We go above and beyond to make sure our owners are happy because those owners are people that we eventually make deals with and can come to them for syndication projects and all those things so it's just always worth it to treat people uh, you don't even need to give just treat people extremely fair and go a little above and beyond for each person and they'll remember those things because a lot of people don't and be loyal like be loyal to people that treat you well it's like just you know give your all back to them like give extra You know what I mean? Whether it is like whatever it is, like it's the same thing I talked about that lender. It's like, let them have their peace. Let them win. Let everyone win and you win. Like we're all on the same team. If your numbers, if your numbers work extremely well, there's no point in, you know, nitpicking at anything. It's like, all right, you guys want 2% origination. That's fine. My numbers still work, right? (laughs) Yep. Tip, tip the dealer, tip the dealer. Exactly. Like, Exactly. Like karma comes back, man. Tip the dealer. Like, it's if you're you're going against the house and you don't tip them, yeah. <laughs> like you got to tip them. Tip him. And like, I think that goes, that goes to people that work for you too. It's like when they are deserving of extra money because they're going above and beyond. Like I hate the corporate. I hated the co- corporate world so much because it's like you go above and beyond for four months and then. They tell you, oh, yeah, you need to wait till next year to get a promotion. And it's like, I'm not going to bust my ass for another 14 months just so I can get a a 15 percent, you know, increase. And then I maybe maybe. Yeah, maybe (laughs) when you sit in front of them, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, things changed. It's actually 8 percent. Yeah. Like our returns haven't been as good as we thought they were going to be. Like, (laughs) no, let me control. Let me control that now. Let me control the returns and. I think yeah. when people are deserving of money, um, especially when they work for you, like they should be incentivized immediately because that just makes them want to work harder because they know if they work harder, they'll get rewarded quickly. It's the same exactly. thing with like as dumb as training a dog, right? Like you tell him to sit and he sits and you give him the treat the next day. He'll never remember why he sat and he'll never remember to do that trick. But if you tell him to sit and he sits and you give him a treat immediately, 
he'll put two and two together pretty quickly. Exactly. Next time, he'll sit down for that treat again. So, and he keeps yeah. becoming a smarter and better dog over time. Like exactly, yeah. yeah. Any command, any command, he's on board. He's doing it. So, I always believed in like immediate reward because it you remember it quicker and you realize like, oh wow, what I just did is great. But if you wait, you know, months and months and months, even like a year to reward somebody, eventually it just becomes frustrating. And it's just like I don't even remember what I did to 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 earn this, you know? Yeah, it's hard it's hard to look back. So like hard to look back to what you've done and and yeah, recognize that. So I, I agree with you hundred percent. Well so um what are you looking to get into um throughout the rest of your career after this do you want to continue developing uh you mentioned a fund could you get into what your career is going to look look at going forward from here yeah so the the people that raised with us um this deal that we just did in bear lake is we want to roll all of that capital into our fund that me and kyle are doing um all of the capital that was in that deal that for bear lake we basically said, hey, the disposition fee, which is just a fee that we would be making for handling the project, legal, you know, handling all the paperwork, um, getting in them in the, in the deal, raising the capital, that type of thing, um, handling them as investors, um, that 2%, we are going to waive if they roll it into our next fund. Um, you know, So that's kind of what the goal is. We're doing that next uh, within the year, so we'll start that next fund. Um, once principal starts getting dispersed from the Bear Lake project, we're going to use that principal back into the fund and then all their gains back into the fund and get into bigger multifamily, uh, value add multifamily, seller finance, uh, similar to Pace Morby, as you brought up as well. That's kind yeah. of the idea. Um, you know, look for those bigger projects and just value add them and get returns back to our investors, give them. Um, tax benefit as well with cost segregation studies, which I'm sure you could go over as well, but that's yeah. a good way to to save on taxes and, you know, people can invest with us and just pretty much make their investment back if they're making a lot of money in, in income um, year one or, you know, year two. And so that's the strategy now. And then long term, I want to own an NFL football team. So that's going to be a long road, um, you know, so whether it's majority ownership i just want to be in on it like i want that and i want to coach and i want to be involved in football in general so who's your team uh the packers which can't be owned oh, no. <laughs> so, so the packers won't be owned obviously but i would love to start a team here in salt lake so that'd be really cool for me like i would love to have an nfl franchise here like i've always thought about it since i was a kid um playing madden and running franchise mode on madden you know what i mean and Right. That's been my dream, and I've always wanted to play football, and my body wouldn't let me um, health-wise. And so I, I've i always wanted to do that, and I will at some point, right? Whether I'm 50 or 60 or 70 years old, it will happen at some point. That's an awesome goal to have. Um, being somebody I, – I would love for you to – I don't think we've talked about this yet on the podcast, but cost segregation is an awesome thing that I think a lot of beginning real estate investors don't know about. Could you explain how it's beneficial to do that at the beginning of a sale and how it could benefit you as a as a real estate professional, um, you know, to, for tax purposes? Yeah. So um, your first rental property that you own, whether it's say you move into it and then move out of it. Now it's you can do the cost segregation on that property. Um, if it's a rentable asset, you basically have a company come in. They do a whole documentation of uh what's depreciable you know the whether there's windows you know, doors, light, light fixtures windows doors flooring uh fridges whatever there is in the home normally it's over 27 and a half years of depreciation that you would get on your tax forms every single year just a 24 27 and a half years divided by what you bought it for basically now they let you fast forward depreciate that. Um, you know, for example, I just did a million dollar property in St. George, Utah. Um, that property, I got $365,000 in depreciation year one. Um, and I was able to wipe off tax liability for a long time, right? 365K is quite a bit of money right. to write off. And I did three properties um, and ended up being one point, like 1.1 million of depreciation. So it's like there's lots of benefit. That's what 
Trump just came out with a few years ago, and now we're all able to benefit from it. It's going to keep going down every year. It's 80% this year, 60% the following, 40, and then 20, I think. Um, and so doing that cost segregation study costs maybe $1,500 to $3,000, depending on who does it for you. And that just uh, gets rid of your liability in case you got audited or something and you need to show the paperwork saying, hey, this is the depreciation schedule. This is like we did a professional uh, cost segregation on this property. Here's your documentation type thing. Um, 1500 bucks or $2,000 will go a long way if you want to save, you know, 50, 60, 100 grand or depending on what the property is worth. Yeah, I think the reason I wanted you to explain that is because a lot of the times people hear on social media, like how real estate investors get away with not paying taxes. And that's probably one of the most prevalent ways is using cost segregation, um, where you can depreciate all of the fixtures and pieces of the home or apartment building, whatever it may be. You can depreciate it over time, but you can expedite that in one year. And if you're a real estate professional on your taxes, you can carry that to personal uh, income as well. So when you hear Donald Trump and all these people complaining about, or not Donald Trump's not complaining, but the opposite side's complaining about it. When they're saying yeah. they're not paying taxes and doing all these things, that is the legal way to actually write off a ton of um, big you know, income that you may have personally or the property may have in the first coming years, which saves you, you know, thousands and thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's a very that's um, that's, that's investable cash, too. So it's like you can literally use that money that you would have spent on the government back to button to put in your portfolio and buy more property. Um, yeah. Obviously, if you were to sell any of those assets is obviously going to be recaptured. You're going to have to pay taxes on that. But there's if you're buying more property with it, it doesn't really matter because you're going to keep yeah cost segregation studies so so the yeah that the honest side of cost segregation is you lower your cost basis um mm -hmm. so you know if you do end up selling the property later say you bought a five hundred thousand dollar property you cost segregated at a hundred thousand your cost basis is no longer five hundred thousand it's four hundred thousand so you need to pay the difference of what you sell it for say it's eight hundred thousand so instead of a $300,000 profit, you would have a $400,000 profit on paper. Um, but in general, cost segregations are still worth it because, uh, you know, paying taxes on 100,000, 15% capital gains, you're really only paying $15,000, right? Exactly. And if, if you're if you're doing the lazy 1031, then you just keep doing cost segregations. It's like, right. yeah, you just keep keep moving them forward. Well, because the government's incentivizing us to buy more property anyway. So, yeah, I mean, the more and more I'm into this game, you can tell yeah, there's some huge lobbyists for real estate and the way real estate businesses mm -hmm. are, are, you know, acted upon in the tax code because there's so many benefits to it. And as you mentioned in the beginning, most millionaires and billionaires are involved in real estate and they're the ones that can affect the tax code through lobbying and working with politicians. So even the small guys if you're in real estate you get to you know enjoy the same benefits that these guys are constantly fighting for but you just get to enjoy the tax codes that they've created exactly hopefully we get that back hopefully it comes back again after yeah. <laughs> after this next election well connor all great stuff um if you wanted to let people know maybe where to find you uh you know if you have any um, Instagram handles or Twitter handles you wanted to let anybody know so they could find you and ask you questions and maybe work with you on anything, feel free to take the floor. Sure. Um, I'm always on social media, so you guys can always reach out, call. You can. We'll do calls. I'll talk to anybody, really. Um, when I'm not busy, I'll jump on a call whenever. Um, Conrock on Instagram, C-O-N-N-R-O-C-K. And then same with Threads. Um, just started that out, I guess. That's the new Twitter. Yeah. Um, and then YouTube, Conrock as well. Everything's C-O-N-N-R-O-C-K. So reach out and I'll I'll hit you back. Awesome, Connor. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you have a great story, so I'm excited to post this. But uh, stay in touch and I'm sure we'll talk soon, man. Definitely will. I appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks so much, man. All right. See you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumba no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus